On today's show, we are joined by Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Hi, good morning. And by James Ordis, Senior Investment Advisor at Shaw & Partners. Good morning, James. Good morning, gentlemen. So Congress passed the stopgap funding bill over the weekend, which keeps the US government in operation for a further five weeks. Why does this seem like they keep going to the brink every single time they need to agree on the funding? And what are the actual implications that this is having on the markets? I'll start with you, James. Uh, well, I think the politicians like to kick the ball backwards and forwards and, you know, they push it all the way to the limit, which causes stress in the financial markets and then end up coming up with an agreement as they did over the weekend. And, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they take it all the way to the 45-day limit that they've got from the weekend. And Alex? Yeah, I think that it's just delayed and, and this is probably just politics. So um, the, the market actually did not expect too much. I think uh, probably we would see another in a solution coming after uh, around the deadline next time. So, I mean, we didn't really see much in terms of the equity markets. I mean, they were pretty mixed, Dow down, NASDAQ up, S&P flat. But we did see, well, a, a reaction in the Treasury markets and the especially the long-dated bonds. Um, so is that really where we should start seeing the or look for the action now going forward is in the bond market rather than the equity markets? Um, Alex? Yeah, I think uh, the, the weakness in the bond market actually is, is very concerning right now. Uh, it's steam um, support is not coming yet, uh, so we probably need to monitor that closely. And yesterday, actually, the market is quite quite mixed and quite um, quite 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 difficult to understand because of the um, growth stocks actually uh, were outperforming, uh, probably because of uh, upgrades from analysts. So uh, we got several big techs are getting upgrades, but uh, other other sectors like oil and banks are pretty weak. And I think uh, what is more significant last yesterday is uh, the, um, the, 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 the oil market as well, because um, it seemed to me that we have already seen a peak uh, in the short term already. And probably we must see some retracement in oil prices, and that may change the outlook for, for probably inflation. So I think uh, we need to monitor that as well, the oil and bonds market right now. And James, what are your thoughts in terms of where people are looking? Should it still be the equities or, as you know, as I mentioned, seems that the action's really happening in the bond markets and especially long-dated ones. So is that where we should be focused yep. now? Well, you're absolutely right. The equities markets are completely keying off the, uh, off, off the 10-year rates uh, and, and even the two-year rates. So we've got the, you know, US t twos and tens are in inversion. Um, and so, you know, that's causing a lot of pressure on the markets. But we also, you know, it's more the rate of change that we've seen year to date for, for you know, the 10-year yields in the US. You know, they're sitting up at, you know, 4.7%. And, uh, you know, the rate of change this year is up 20%. So that's that's what's really kind of spooking the equities markets. And they're obviously correct in what you both say about com commodities, particularly with oil. I mean, they've both come off the boil from 95 to 88, uh, but they're still a long way up on the year. And we're not seeing the likes of uh, copper rally. So, you know, without copper rallying, being Dr. Copper, we're, we're probably going to see equities continue to struggle until copper gets its uh, foot on the gas. Yeah, I mean, we're looking, I mean, you go to the broader commodities market, you see the copper prices have been relatively flat. Gold, gold's actually come down a little bit as well. Um, so it's kind of an interesting play because normally safe haven would be the gold, uh, people going into gold, but that's not necessarily happening at the moment, which makes me think there are, you know, maybe people are still willing to take a little bit of risk. And is that the right way of looking at it? I'll start with you, James, this time. 
I think a lot of that's to do with the uh, the dollar index and, you know, with the USD index being where it's at at the moment and uh, rallying up to a year-to-date high at the moment at 107. It's just, it's just as we're speaking, hit a high uh, for the year. So it's it basically broke a, a downtrend that it had been in since November of last year. And uh, we were in a chopping in a, a sideways pattern to the downside and we've just over the last five weeks broken to the upside. And I think that that's where all the pressure is coming in equities and also uh, putting pressure on gold. Okay. And Alex? I think for gold, probably the focus would be on the holding costs right now. Are people talking about the, the, the long-term rates and, and gold actually is paying low interest? So the cost of holding actually is, is hurting gold right now. So I think um, people are not too concerned about the, uh, the, the, the safety of treasury, but um, probably they are, they are thinking about the holding cost of gold right now. Well, I guess if you're getting uh, close to 5% in interest in the bank, you don't really need to hold gold at the moment, do you? Um, Okay, so let's move on a little bit. And we've uh, heard overnight from Reuters um, that the Biden administration's warning Beijing of its plans to update the curbs on the AI chips and chip making. But at the same time, they're trying to look at it as a stabilization in relationships. So what are the changes going to be that will actually cause this to stabilize the relationship rather than cause further tensions? And I'll start with you, Alex, on that one. I think uh, they probably still want to curb the... the, um the export of technologies. So they want to limit the um, extent of the high-tech parks. But uh, for other things, um, not that not so high-tech, probably they want to do business with China as usual. So I think that's the stand of US. So um, And probably we may see uh, some renewed uh, uh, sanctions on, on certain parts of, of our chips to China uh, later on. But then how does that stabilize the relationship? Wouldn't that cause more tensions? I think it will cause more tensions later on. I think uh, what they're doing is like try to limit the um, uh, the growth potential of the AI AI sectors in China. So I think they will cause more tension. But I think uh, they probably want to do other things. So they probably are talking about um, only 5% or less than 10% uh, business actually would be affected. I think that is the stand of, uh, of the USA. And James, do you see there's any way that we can actually start seeing a stabilization in the relationship between US and China, especially if they're going to go ahead with, you know, further curves in the AI sector and the chip sector? Well, they're trying to dress it up as a security concern. And I think, if anything, it's just a politicking thing. And I'm not sure that it's going to abate, particularly as we go into an election year. So, you know, I think tensions will, if anything, they will continue to increase. And, you know, that's another element of destabilization for risk assets. And then when you look at, you know, certain chips, you've seen now with Huawei and the Mate 60 and everyone talking about how they're now catching up on the, on the uh, chip side of uh, things. Are these curves actually going to have any effect other than to help China to become more creative and build their own chips and maybe actually surpass the US? Uh, James, I'll start with you there. Yeah, it's, I, I'm no expert on that chip side of things, so I, I'll just have to defer to Alex and yourself on that one. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll defer you to Alex and Alex. <laughs> oh, I think uh, that would make, of course, they would uh, propel China to develop its own technology, but the gap actually is, is quite high. And I think uh, the point is, uh, US also is uh, progressing right now and progressing at a very fast way because um, right now um, capitals are flowing into the AI sectors. So we'll probably we may see that advancement uh, speed up in the US as well. So the gap probably would still be there because uh, China catching up, but the uh, U.S. also is progressing. So I think uh, probably we may see the, the gap to be wider later on because of this kind of sanctions by the USA. Okay. 
And James, um, we'll move on from the chip sector, but we'll move on to uh, Microsoft and Google and the uh, fact that Microsoft has decided to uh, head to court in the antitrust trial challenging Google. What effect is this going to have in the tech sector and uh, in particular Google? And do you actually think the court will start ruling in favour of Microsoft and that state that Google actually did have some sort of monopoly on the search side? Well, it's certainly interesting to hear that, uh, you know, Sachin Nadella's, uh, you know, testifying in regards to you know, Google's uh, monopoly on things. So uh, I don't I don't know uh, how fundamental that's going to be to the business of these guys, but I do know that you know, Google and Microsoft are usually significant to what's going to happen with the NASDAQ 100 index. And you know, I just don't just don't see a raising intentions being anything good for the market. And Alex, any thoughts on the Microsoft Google situation? Well, I think uh, I have not too much insight on this one as well. Uh, I think uh, probably um, Microsoft would 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 have some case because uh, the, 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 the 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 Google actually is quite dominant on on the on the phone side right now. Yeah. Okay. So I guess in the last few minutes, uh, should we move on to our favourite subjects, which is always China? Um, Actually, it's been a bit mixed in the EV sector. So you saw lithium prices hitting nearly two-year lows. But we've seen EV sales, in particular the high-end stuff, like Li Auto, actually hit record highs. So why the mismatch in terms of lithium prices and the car sales? And given the fact that EV sales are actually going strong, is that actually something that we should get a little bit excited about the situation in China about? Um, let's start with you, Alex. Huh? I think first of all, uh, the lithium part probably is due to the uh, investment over the last few years. Because uh, in the last few years, people people actually dumped a lot of money into uh, investment into lithium exploration. So, so I think uh, that's because the supply is catching up finally, and then. Uh, the, the whole economy actually isn't that strong, so uh, probably people expect uh, the car sales to be um, picking out, and and the rise of uh, the, uh, the the Chinese brand actually is like this expense of uh, other brands, uh, other European brands and and international brands. So I think that there's uh, not the whole market going up. So I think that that's why we are seeing this kind of divergence. But I think we should be more optimistic towards those Chinese brands uh, in the in China right now. I think uh, they probably would be a guinea market share. James, have you got any thoughts on lithium going down also sell well Chinese brand also sales going up in China? Well, I could only really take a, a, a very simplistic view of it. If, if the lithium price is coming back down, then it should be a, a lesser of a cost input for these manufacturers, so their margins could, in, uh, could be improved, and that might be you know, why people are uh, happy to bid up the, uh, the EV makers. Okay. Um, and then what are your overall thoughts going forward? I mean, like I said, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, so, James, what are your thoughts on what we should look at in the, in the week ahead? Well, for the for the quarter ahead, I'll go a bit further out. Okay. Hopefully, we're going to see you know the the typically strong um, latter quarter of the year when we have a week of August and September. So we've certainly seen that in the equities markets, and and hopefully that'll lay over. And valuations have been compressed enough for the markets to at least hold the levels that they're at, if not grind higher. But it's really going to have to have to be keyed off of what happens with these ten year rates, because if the US continues to surge towards the five percent level, uh, it's just going to make it as as you said, you know, on a risk free basis to take you know. 5% that you can get in a 10-year government bond, it's it's very difficult to justify going into uh, higher growth equities. So hopefully that uh, US 10-year rate tempers somewhat and even maybe comes back towards the fall level. Okay. 
And Alex, anything that we should be aware of or what we should be looking ahead to either this week, this month or even this quarter? I think, of course, that would be the bond market. Right now, the bond market actually is uh, still uh, sinking. I think uh, we need to see stabilization in the bond market. Otherwise, uh, the the base rate actually is too high, so um, that would be bad for risky asset. Uh, So we should monitor those uh, uh, USA closely and and see whether we could find a fall on buy prices. Otherwise, I think uh, that would be quite bad for equity market. So I think uh, the bond market will remain the focus. Hopefully, the commodity market has some retreat and that that will help to stabilize the bond market. Okay. Um, So now in the last 10 seconds, best markets to look at. Um, Let's start with you, James. Ooh, that's a tough one. Equities, because I'm an equities guy. Okay. Um, and Alex? Uh, in the meantime, it's quite difficult. Uh, I've, I used to like Japan, but Japan right now is under pressure. So uh, probably it's, uh, it's, it's still uh, okay to go, but I think the risk actually is a little bit high uh, because uh, the correction actually seems to be coming. But I think in the long term, Japan still offer a good value. Okay. Well... Thank you very much. That was uh, Alex Wong and James Ordis. And I'd like to thank both guests for coming on. Thank you, guys.